Jordan Pickford, maybe more than any other professional keeper I've watched, like just, you know, fails the eye test to me. What's up, guys? What's Welcome up, back. Guys? Welcome. <laughs> oh, my God. Two seconds and in and we already have an interruption. I can't even handle this podcast. We have hours to listen to from here on out, and we've already made an obtrusive beginning. But welcome, everybody. Um, I'm Martin Grossman. I'm here with my co-host and friend, Will Algren. Will, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. We are, uh, you know, a bit different to form this time. We are actually coming to you after we've already recorded our episode. Yes. Today. So, you know, we're, you know, you may not believe us that this is actually going to be something a bit different. We've got an interview. We might have a little bit more content than we normally do on this <laughs> podcast. So uh, what that means is we can get, you know, all of our out on the intro here. So yeah, a little less haphazard this time around. Yeah. We've We've, we're lucky to have on uh, Aiden Ray as our guest today. He's a friend. We'll talk more about him shortly. You'll hear about it. Um, but he's a goalkeeper guy. And Will and I have spent a lot of time uh, thinking about the fact that we know nothing about goalkeepers. So we figured, why not bring on someone that actually does to teach us a little something? And oh boy, did he. Yeah, it's, uh, it, was, it was a very good conversation. We probably, what, hour and a half, something like that. Feels feels like we actually learned a lot, which is an incredible change. So usually, I come away from this podcast feeling much dumber than when I started it. And, uh, this, <laughs> you and me this both. time, I've kept a level baseline. You know, the, uh, <laughs> the new knowledge I've gained is canceled out talking to Martine for this long. So. We tend to just whittle each other down over time. The more episodes we put out, the fewer brain cells we end up with. But you know, that's kind of an occupational hazard with all of this. That's just kind of what happens when you discuss these types of things. And today was a lovely change of pace, I have to admit. Um, but without talking too much about the episode in and of itself, Will, with, I don't know, two, three minutes, thoughts, feelings, sensations, emotions about today, you, uh, I know, suffered a lot against Porto in this Champions League match. Did we? I don't know. I, I said people were calling this the group of death. I'm like, if Porto's in this, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> I mean, Porto, Porto are a fine team, but... Every time Liverpool has played them in recent years, it has been an incredibly one-sided game filled with lots of bad defending by Porto. They, they, they seem to give us, you know, they haven't learned the lesson that all the Premier League teams, Premier League teams have learned, and they just give us as much space as we want every time. Salah, hmm. Mane, Firmino always have a field day against them, did it again today. And, uh, you know, it's, it, was, it was a fine game, but... It's uh, maybe this is asking too much, but I don't know. I I did feel, you know, just a little bit bored by it. It felt more like Porto just collapsing than us actually earning the win. And mm. uh, I'd probably feel a, a lot less bad about watching it if there weren't some other like absolutely incredible things going on at the same time that I was missing out on. So you want yeah. to talk about the game that you watched? Well, so I saw PSG Man City because obviously as a Barcelona kid, I need to watch Messi and, and I need to sob a little puddle of tears to myself every time I see him dress up in the number 30 for Paris. But um, Me too. That was, a, that was a crazy game. I don't know. I haven't really read what other people are thinking and typically I don't really care all that much. But I think realistically... I, there was just so much quality in that match. Let me just say, 
Marco Verratti, unbelievable. You cannot get the ball off that guy. He showed himself very well. He's had some injuries here and there. Hasn't played a whole lot. Oh my God, what a player. Um, was just utterly fantastic, especially in the first half. I didn't watch him so much kind of as the minutes wore on, but man, he is a good guy to have in that midfield. I thought that um, Hakimi admittedly was kind of overshadowed a little bit, was maybe not, was maybe a little underutilized. Messi had a utterly fantastic goal. Great to see him linking up with Mbappe. And I know that there's kind of this, we use this word all the time. Well, I do subcutaneous uh, kind of like tension. No no one else uses that word. (laughs) I use that word all the time on this pod. There was, there's some tension with that front line, just in the sense that obviously you had Neymar, Suarez, and Messi back in the day, that this trio is going to be compared to inevitably, where the profiles are a little different, but there's also kind of different components of arrogance and assumptions as to who's the real protagonist. Here, it's a little bit harder to assess, but Messi playing the ball to Mbappe with a back heel that then leads to just like a quintessential Messi driving from the right, finishing with his left as kind of across his body, across the face of goal. Ederson can't even dive. I mean, wow, what a what an unbelievable moment. And he looked obviously extremely excited and happy, which makes me happy too. Um, I, I have to admit, Cancelo was brilliant. Um, higher up the field, Grealish kind of puzzled me a little bit because he kind of was cutting inside every single time he got the ball. He would do this thing where he would kind of suggest that he would take the line, but we all knew he wasn't. And then he would kind of revert back centrally and play the ball off him. And I didn't see a lot from him that I usually do, which was a little disappointing. I thought Mares was really, really fantastic. Wreaking havoc on the other hand, on the other side. Um, and so that was just an interesting kind of affair. I honestly like so much quality in that match donnarumma well you you would hope so it was uh it was the most expensive football (laughs) match of all time yeah 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 i think two billion between squads was it it, was it the best football match of all time no (laughs) money money can't buy everything huh yeah (laughs) um yeah, you're totally right. I had this yeah. question actually recently that I asked a coworker of mine, totally irrelevant, and I'll reel this in because we don't want to spend too much time here, um, where I was thinking about paintings. You know how for Touchline Theory, I like to put uh, paintings from museums, say like the New York Metropolitan Museum as the front cover of the of the articles, just because, I don't know, I like the, the way that it looks. And it's I, very I charming. I, yeah, very unique style. I like it. I try to keep things aesthetically pleasing, but also I like to have a painting that somewhat represents what I'm talking about too. Anyway, one of the things I was thinking about, I heard on a different podcast the other day was talking about Basquiat, which is actually the, the um, painter that did the most recent painting that I posted with the article about Tuchel and how uh, Chelsea slayed the half space King. And they asked the question of, there's all these paintings that go for like $20 million, just insanely expensive, like, you know, original paintings. And you can also tend to get the same paintings for like 20 bucks at Walmart on a piece of paper. And they were posing the question of like, do you get a million times amount, the amount of like utility or enjoyment out of the original? And there's just no possible way it's possible. And kind of then backwards deducing the fact that, nothing is worth the amount. Well, thinking about this game within the same sort of like lens, all of that money definitely did provide some sort of showcase, but we also saw a kind of sputtering Neymar who looked kind of iffy. We saw some other components What's like Wijnaldum coming off the bench, kind of not really making that much of an impact. He's seen yeah. his place taken What's up new? by by Gay and, and other guys. Um yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to see how you, 
it was decent. It was very good. It was a good game, but there was an even better game that I unfortunately was not able to watch. Though thankfully I didn't because oh, which I, one's that? I think I have a curse when it comes to watching this team. Real Madrid and uh, Sheriff played. Yeah. Sheriff being the Moldovan champions. Um, Sheriff decapitated and uh, in a, what, what would we say uh, arrested and all the other cop jokes that have been floating around the internet yeah. you know those cops just going out to <laughs> people left and right we want to keep this as far away from politics as possible but sheriff beat real politics. madrid which listen here's what i'll say i don't know the police are a huge factor in the media right now with regards to politics and and what people think right, we should do right. with them but here's what i will say um Every time I watch a Real Madrid match when they are losing and I get excited and I see that on like FOTMOB and I go, I click and I log in, they come back. So literally it's happened maybe five times a season where I see that they're down a goal. I go log in and then like Kareem Benzema shows up every single time. Vinicius okay. shows up every single time. And this time I just didn't watch the game. I saw they were down a goal. I was like, I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to mess it up. Then they pulled one back with Benzema. I hate using that term. I probably shouldn't say that. That makes me sound like a like a like a Twitter head or whatever, a guy that's like lurking in the shadows of the internet. Oh, it's um, you know, very accurate. So. <laughs> basically, he comes back and I'm like, okay, whatever. And I sent a message in our group chat too with a couple of our other friends saying, like, you know, never score early against Real Madrid. You can't score early against Real Madrid. They will always get angry and then pummel you even harder. I've said it in the past. I, I said it again today. Um, it didn't happen in like the final dying embers of the match, 88th minute or something. We saw this just ridiculous volleyed goal, upper 90, just insane. And, you know, I know there's a lot of complicated discourse about Sheriff as a club. There's some stuff going around about the fact that there's like a disputed territory and how it's kind of confusing with regards to the kind of off the field stuff with Sheriff. But, but on the field, I mean, no complaints so far. No, I, uh... no complaints at all. And it's, it's really made me kind of rethink things a little bit because, I mean, you know, Sheriff, you know, from Moldova, the type of team, or I've literally never heard of them, <laughs> literally never heard of any of their players before now. Right. And so I just assume that they're all just, you know, they all suck. They're all like, you know, they're all way worse than all the other players in these leagues. But going on these first two games, I mean, they don't look at it at all. They, they look they quite look, decent. I mean, they, they outperformed Shakhtar handily in their first game. And they, they stuck with Madrid today. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like maybe uh, there's an expectation that now in this world with, you know, this kind of worldwide scouting stuff that we'll get into a bit in the actual episode with these FIFA ratings that we just have an idea of, like, how good all of these players are. But, like, I mean, who, who knows? Like, maybe these guys from Moldova that no one's ever heard of, just, you know, they're practicing their craft for years and years. And this team is legitimately as good as some of the top Champions League teams now. And, you know, maybe they'll get found out, they'll get better in the next game. So it's like, who knows? I mean, they could be, right? It's an exciting it's factor. And, the and team I, is just coming out of nowhere. They've been so far hidden from the public eye that just no one has any idea how good they are. Now they're finally getting to this stage, and and they they have shocked me so far, and I hope they continue to do so. I mean, a, a similar one that I'll, I'll mention too is, is Club Brugge, because they've yeah. done exceptionally well in this incredibly, whatever, the, the super wealthy group of, I don't know, uh, death by taxes i don't know like just the 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 group that isn't the traditional maybe group of death as some people have been calling it i don't know if they said that was liverpool's but with red bull leipzig and man city and psg which seems like just an atrocious yeah. group to be in they did 
exceptionally well with Charles de Ketelaire and Noah Lang against PSG in the first match. And today they beat Leipzig, who, again, is a team that is now kind of had a very rough start under Jesse Marsh um, yeah. in terms of trying to find their identity. But, I mean, no easy team to dispatch of, regardless no. of how Never. they're performing on the day. And uh, it's impressive. I think I said, maybe it was in our last episode, that uh, Club Brugge are going to be pretty much everyone's like second favorite team in this Champions League just because of who they're up against. And, you know, those are probably, if you if you asked some random guy on the street, you know, what what's the club that really represents what's wrong with modern soccer, I absolutely <laughs> guarantee he would say one of those other three clubs in this group. I mean, that's that's true, right? Whatever you feel about them on the field, those are the three teams that people are really pointing at and saying, are, are, do we want more of this? Are we sure? Right, right. It's like the epitomization of the Super League no. collection um, of clubs that is, yeah, very wealthy for better or worse and is putting together things in the field that can be fun to watch, but also there might be some things that make us wince a little bit too. I guess the only other uh, one that I wanted to touch upon briefly before we dive into to our guest Atletico Madrid, Milan. Did you get a chance to see anything from that? I uh, I saw the last few minutes after the Liverpool game was over, and I uh, rewatched the highlights. It's uh, that one actually affects me. I'm 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 happy with the results in the end because you know as as much as I fear Atletico, and as much as you know I have said for years and years that if Liverpool, you know, every time we're in these Champions League draws, every time we're in the group stages against the knockout rounds. If there's one team I always want to avoid, it's Atletico because they they are never easy. They they know how to beat us. They're probably, you know, there's there's a certain style that works very well against Liverpool, kind of this low block. Atleti are probably the best, I would say, like elite team in the world at doing this. And you know, hmm. I was terrified when we got in the Champions League a couple of years ago, and we went out against them like that. So. Right. You know, as much as it hurts to see them get the points, it's like what this also does. It, it puts Milan now on zero points. Right? Right. It leaves leaves Porto on just one. And in the modern era, you know, I would rather have this that boost that makes it easier for us to get out of the group rather right. than Atleti getting hurt and make it easier to finish first or second because first and second they they just don't matter anymore. Yeah, it's right? more of a pragmatist City, approach. City and PSG are in the same group, right? You're you're not going to get one of those clubs and be like, oh, I'm glad we finished second, so we avoid you know one of them. I'm glad we finished first, so we avoid the other one, right? It's, right, it's right. going to be difficult, and you know we we've seen even in recent years that sometimes you know the top clubs aren't even finishing first in the groups anymore these clubs are actually like taking their foot off the gas pedal a little bit because they know that doesn't matter you know real madrid for example i think it's been a couple of years since they finished top of their group they they get second even when they're against weaker teams right i think the weird thing that happened in that game from what i saw a little glimpses was that frank cassier got a red card within 30 minutes which is uh, interesting certainly a lot had already taken the lead which is a shame because rafael Leao, i think hit the bar with the bicycle kick from what i saw um, yeah. I saw that Griezmann finally netted a goal for Atleti, which is, I guess, good for him. Yeah, and then uh, very, uh, very questionable penalty. Definitely uh, on the borderline. It's one of those that, you know, depends on how you read the rule about a uh, close contact. But... Hmm. And that was what, in like the 97th minute? I know the extra time dragged it was, on. It was, it was like the 93rd, and then the penalty wasn't taken until the 97th, and then they added those four minutes on after. So the match ended up going into like 101, 102, something like that. Pretty crazy. Jeez. So that's, that's why I was able to catch the end after the Liverpool game had finished. 
So. Well, it sounds like you made the wrong decision in terms of which game to watch, which is a shame. I probably did. I got the most goals and still come away unsatisfied. Which you know, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just greedy. I I definitely am actually. But you know, still, I've I've seen us beat Porto pretty handily uh, a lot of times in recent years. Right? I I could have done with watching something else. But hey, at least we won. At least yeah. we're uh, doing well. Six you points should... from six. You should hold high standards for your team and yourself anyway. I guess looking ahead of tomorrow, I, I haven't really looked at the other fixtures. All I know is that my eyes are going to be glued to Barcelona versus Benfica, the return of uh, Grimaldo, who's a guy that I'm a, a big fan of. But mm-hmm. also it'll be interesting to see how many of our young players feature. One thing that we didn't yeah. talk about is Ansu Fati's return. Oh my God. Fantastic uh, goal. Yeah. A guy that I've been saying for months that when he gets back, everybody needs to chill out. Everybody needs to let him have his time to ease into the right. minutes, to not have he, expectations. He ruined it for himself. Let's be totally yeah. honest here. He went on he sure and within minutes took the ball, turned a guy, cut back, fired a long shot into the bottom corner. Something that we just like an, an attacking impetus and an eye for goal that we just have not had whatsoever. We don't have that in the team anywhere whatsoever. You can look at any of the players in the team right now. Nobody has that knack for goal. Even Depay, who's been good, even Aguero, who we haven't even seen. Yeah. No one has been able to show that type of impact. And he looked quick, which for a guy who has an, who coming off of a knee injury is yeah. interesting and cool to see that he looked agile and if anything bulked up, um, he is going to be an interesting guy to watch. I want to temper yeah. my expectations. It, I, you you have to temper your expectations a bit, but I mean it's it's going to be hard because I mean you see a goal like that and you're like, well, if he can still do that, he can do everything else he was doing before too because that that looked like Fatih at his best. You know, that, I mean, that looked like right back to normal straight off the bat. I think that what I am going to be hoping for as we go into the Champions League is I want to see Ansu, I want to see Depay, I want to see Gavi and Nico perhaps starting against a team like Benfica. I want to see Araujo, who's been unbelievable for us at center back. I want to see Dest, who's been brilliant at left back, interestingly enough, a place that he's played for the U.S. national team. Um, I want to see Mingueza on the right. I did that with the Spanish pronunciation, not the Argentine one. So forgive me, any of my fellow uh, countrymen. And I don't know. I mean, if Pedri can come back healthy, I want to see him in the midfield. If Frankie can be back, just give me the young guys. I, I At this point, there's been so much conversation about Coleman, so much conversation about the results this year. Just give me the young guys. I don't even care about the you results anymore. Wash, you don't think you're going to win the league, Champions League? Well, Champions League probably off the table but you don't people, think you have any hope in the league oh my i just feel like people why is everyone so surprised when we lose games this team has Barcelona. sold you this team sold its two games in years this team sold its two best players is in a financial crisis and like can't even tie down their best club legend in history right. yeah this two year is gonna players? be huh reason second yeah hmm. Second best player I... on the team? I don't. I mean, yeah. probably, right? Okay. Who else Maybe. would? Yeah. I mean, Frankie De Jong, Ter Stegen. Yeah, I mean, but like in terms of value, he's probably yeah, up a, there. Definitely, he would have been the most expensive. Maybe De Jong, but yeah. I just, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, we did that. We brought in players that don't really uh, make up for <laughs> it. We've got young guys making their starts. It's okay for us to not have a super competitive year where we're going for titles. It's not going to happen. I, I am a. I hope I'm not being too cynical here, but I just, that is something where I have tempered my expectations. You know, yeah. I, 
I, I want us to play. I want us to get back to the roots. I want us to show the game model. I want us to show youth and display this emerging crop of young talent. All of this stuff about like, oh, De Jong didn't score an open header, that being Luke. Yeah, no kidding. We all said this. No one's surprised. He scored over the weekend. It props to him. But like, what are we what are we talking about here? Like, you guys are upset that Depay isn't performing in the same way that he was in preseason. That's literally how statistics works. He played well for a couple of games. He's going to regress a little bit. That's what you have to anticipate. Busquets played really, really well with Nico and Gavi in midfield. Maybe that's something that we can look forward to and, you know, consider in the future. And when we pick players for the lineup, maybe that's just him having a good day. It's hard to say, you know, like you just got to take the things that are good and enjoy them. And I know I talked about not wanting to search for silver linings. It's not even silver linings anymore. This is just like, yeah, we're we're not we're not fit to win the league. Benzema is better than any player in our team right now, frankly. Like He's Vinicius is playing player in most teams right now. Yeah, Vinicius is. is playing out of his mind. Like I I don't I I expect disappointment in El Clasico, which hurts me to say immensely. But I just want to see us play well. Like Gavi is really the the guy that is Gavi and, and Araujo are really the guys that are pushing it because they are just showing so much heart on the field. Gavi gets a yellow card within twenty five minutes. Like yes, that's what we need. A guy that is super young, super good at passing, super good at holding the ball, who's also just going to be fearless and go into challenges recklessly, try to get headers despite being small. That's what I want to see. I don't really care so much. Like, we should we be beating these teams? Probably. Are we basing those assumptions off of prehistoric criteria? Probably. I just want to enjoy myself a little bit, you know? And if we have to take a couple losses because we're figuring things out, so be it. Is Komen the right manager? I don't know. Probably not. Is, you know, is Chavi the right manager right now? No. Should Ten Hag come in? I wish. He's not going to. Like, it's just kind of a wash. Like, at this point, it's just like, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it and and hope for the best in the future. So Fair enough. That's uh, certainly, I, I reached that point with Liverpool last year. And, uh, you yeah, know, turned out all right. We're doing better now. So, well, always hope. With that, uh, we will duck out of our intro. Um, I... Cannot wait for you guys to hear this chat that we had with Aiden. He's a brilliant guy. Tons of stuff we learned from him. And I can't wait for you to get a taste of it, too. So with that, here's Aiden. Actually, it's it's going to cut to you introducing Aiden. So here's Martin introducing <laughs> Aiden. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everybody. We've got Aiden Ray here on the pod, our very first guest. Uh, delighted to have him. Aiden is a goalkeeper expert that I am lucky to have met through uh, Soccer Detail. I've been following his work online for a little while now, and he is going to take our ignorance and hopefully uh, eliminate some of it, isn't he, Will? Yeah, I uh, hope so. Excited to have our first guest. It's a big step for us. Usually me and Martin just waste each other's time on here, but now we're going to waste someone else's <laughs> too. So. Very excited. So, um, Aiden, I suppose, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the Touchline Theory uh, very minimal fan base, and we can kind of roll from there. We're excited to learn from you, and for the first time ever, instead of kind of projecting our own terrible opinions on here, we'll we'll be enlightened by someone who's much smarter than the two of us. So, take, <laughs> yeah, take the reins. Uh, it's good to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Aiden Ray, and I... As we kind of discussed, do a lot in goalkeeping. I don't know if I'd call myself an expert in it, but uh, 
Throughout my experience, I've been with Bristol Rovers as an opposition uh, analyst. That's kind of where I got my start. And then from there, I kind of realized that my niche or what I feel most comfortable in is the goalkeeping analysis, the goalkeeper analytics. And it's kind of a market that's a bit thin in the industry. Uh, so from there, it allowed me to kind of focus on creating a bunch of public work, uh, consulting a few European teams and working as a goalkeeper analyst for FC uh, Groningen in the Netherlands and the Eredivisie. And yeah, from there, I've uh, learned a lot. I've refined my work and I feel that I somewhat know a thing or two about goalkeeping. So yeah, that's a little bit on who I am, I suppose. Yes, great to have you. Um, so Will and I had been discussing before the podcast about the fact that as two people who are less familiar with the goalkeeping world, uh, admittedly, we we observe goalkeepers in the wild. Uh, we see what people say about them online. We have kind of our own interpretations of what it means to be a good goalkeeper, but it's kind of unclear. Um, I, for one, know that, for instance, I think Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is very good for Barcelona, and it seems as though online everybody thinks he's been quite awful recently and that he's got to go. And I've had a hard time kind of reconciling whether he's good or whether he's not good. And I know that we'd been discussing, Will, the, the, the fact that there are certain kind of idiosyncrasies about the goalkeeping position that make it kind of weird and hard to, to understand how they're trained or how they're able to execute their actions um, since their position is inherently very different than the field players, right? There's just something a little bit different about goalkeepers. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, almost completely separated. I mean, being a goalkeeper is almost nothing like being any other position on the field. It's, uh, you know, most players, the team is trying to get involved, get touches on the ball, and uh, generally a team is trying to keep the ball as far away from their goalkeeper as they possibly can for the entire match. And, uh, you know, the, the stakes are also much higher. You know, most players on a field are going to make plenty of mistakes during a match. A keeper, one mistake, it's uh, almost always a goal let in. So it's a very, very difficult job. I've always said it's the uh, hardest job on the field, actually, including uh, managers, any of that stuff. It's just uh, I don't think there's any position where the stakes are that high. I would agree. And I think one one thing that we had chatted about a little bit in particular was the fact that there's like all this inactivity that's very different for the goalkeepers, right? You had some interesting thoughts on on that side of things, how some players, right, when they're in the midst of a match, they're constantly engaged. They're constantly, you know, we talked about this, briefly touched upon the scanning stuff recently. Players are always looking around, trying to take in information. The ball comes near them. It goes further away, but they're always somewhat kind of involved perpetually in the run of play. But for goalkeepers, there are plenty of times where, let's say, if you're, you know, Liverpool today, Allison's job was very different than that. He wasn't necessarily super involved all the time. Yeah, his his job for the first 70 minutes was pretty much just to stand in the box and not do anything. And, you know, again, that's that's not something you have to deal with other positions on the field. Even if you're not getting the ball a lot, you're still having to move, track runs, you know, get open for your teammates. A keeper, you're just, I mean, pretty much standing still, doing nothing. And then, you know, like you said, 70 minutes in, you're called into action for the first time. You know, your first touch of the match is going to be the difference between conceding a goal and not conceding a goal. And that's just, I mean, think, think about the first touch of the match for most other players. You know, it's going to be a meaningless pass. I mean, you see all the time a player will get brought off the bench and then, you know, they'll take their first touch and it'll just be terrible. And the commentators will go, oh, well, uh, it's his first touch. It's no big deal. That's what we expected. And the keepers do not get that leeway. So I guess uh, trying to bring Aiden back into a bit here. 
Um, I know we were going to talk about a lot of kind of more technical stuff today, speaking more about statistics. But before we get into that, I'm just curious about like kind of with that mental pressure, is that something that uh, you're thinking about when you're coaching? Is that something you can kind of train uh, that ability to heat up quickly, I guess, and spring into action with those you know, quick saves? Yeah, so um, without going into the more technical side of it, it's kind of looking at it in terms of training aspect. That's where you're going to get a lot of the game-like scenarios and uh, training sessions where you're staying switched on, you're staying focused. It's definitely one of the things that makes goalkeeping one of the toughest positions out there, if not the toughest position uh, on the pitch. And it's the fact that if you make a mistake, everyone's going to remember it and you have the most individual impact of a match. If you mess up, you may lose that match for your team. If you do your job, you're going to hopefully win the match with your team. Hopefully they're up there scoring goals as well. Uh, so I guess to kind of go into the more mental side of it, uh, as I go into this, I will say that this is what I've learned from my time with uh, Grungen under uh, Sasha Marth, who's brilliant goalkeeping coach, uh, definitely someone I've learned a ton from. And a lot of this stuff he learned from his time at uh, Red Bull or throughout his career. Um, a lot of it came from Hans Leitert, who, well, I will say, going into this, these are his seven principles of goalkeeping. Uh, so Hans Leitert made the seven principles, and it's, the first thing as a goalkeeper is positioning. Second one is balance. Third one, if you're ready on time, uh, always stand uh, being ready. If you're not ready on time, you're conceding the goal. Uh, having the right start to stopping the ball, the right technique used. And then finally, having decision-making and focus and courage. Uh, courage as a goalkeeper is massive. If it's corner coming in and you may get hit hard by that big target man striker, that center back who's up, you have to do it to try and accomplish your job. And in addition to that, you have the kind of cognitive model of goalkeeping where it's uh, you have to have your vision, you have to have the understanding of what's going on in front of you. You have to decide the right technique and you have to have the right execution of that technique. That's how you're successful as a goalkeeper. So to get back to the question that you actually asked, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be tough to stay focused, but part of being a goalkeeper, part of being a successful goalkeeper at the very principles is staying focused, having the vision of what's going on in front of you for 90, 95 minutes, however long it may be. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. We had talked a little bit about how, I mean, obviously a deluge of information just there, like so many different ways to look at this position and understand uh, the requirements for it, because I mean, it's, it's extremely difficult for, I feel like us to even look at any position on the field and establish any sort of criteria, but that looks like a pretty comprehensive list. One, one question I had had, and we had also kind of chatted about a little bit before the pod was this idea that not all goalkeepers are the same, right? You have different goalkeepers and kind of buckets that we can split them up into, and maybe some that are better at certain sides of the game, than others and and ones where maybe the the principles and the fundamentals are all met but they have a little bit more shine in certain areas you think you could talk a little bit about the way that you yeah categorize these players into different categories yeah so 
creating the goalkeeper categories or the uh, buckets, so to say, for it, that's where you can truly bring in the data to help with what you see with your eyes. Uh, you're going to have your, for example, more traditional goalkeepers as a starter. These are going to be the ones that stay on the line. I've sometimes referred to them as line goalkeepers. Uh, they're typically going to be your taller goalkeepers. They may not be the quickest. They may not be the best distributors, but they're going to be really good at seeing the uh, shot coming in and using the right technique and having above average uh, outputs on shot stopping. Hmm. Uh, the, do you have any? Do you have any examples of that type of player? Kind of one, the first one that always comes to mind, and it's probably getting a little bit dated with his age. But uh, Martin Stecklenberg, who's currently at Ajax, uh, he definitely comes to mind just to get the mental picture of he's your six foot six or however tall he is. Just that you're not going to see him coming out to midfield like you see Neuer coming out hmm. to midfield at times. Yeah, and you're not that, going to really see him getting that perfect 40-meter uh, pass that's breaking defensive lines. I think uh, Courtois would maybe be a more recent example I've seen of him. I think he uh, fits that mold pretty well. He's a uh, very Martin Stecklenburg-esque. You know? Yeah, Courtois is definitely a uh, good shout on that. And Ooh. I could definitely without looking at his numbers, assume that he's probably a line goalkeeper. Yeah, I think that was going to be my same suggestion, that I think Courtois reminds me of that. I think um, there's maybe Castiles. I think he's at Wolfsburg, Belgian guy. He also, another Belgian goalkeeper, reminds me of kind of like that taller frame, um, more traditional sort of player. But so that's kind of like the baseline, right? And then you have sort of two diverging paths from the main idea. Yeah, so beyond that, you're going to have the ball-playing goalkeeper. These are going to be your guys like Ederson. Uh, geographically, a lot of them tend to come from that more uh, passing-based nation, so to say, or ones that are going to be like coming from South America, coming from uh, the Mediterranean, like Spain, Portugal, uh, a little bit in Morocco. We see a couple of them having really good ball playing assets and it's just going to be, they're still going to be good shot stoppers. Uh, they're incredibly good at passing and kind of breaking the lines, but they may not be the best coming off the line or they may just prefer not to come off the line. In addition to that, we see a fair bit of ball playing goalkeepers in a more minor, not world-class or elite level. They tend to be a little bit shorter than average. They tend to be the ones that, to compensate for perhaps not being able to reach every shot, they're going to still be doing an excellent job distributing and getting the job done and goal defense. And, and interestingly enough, I feel like that is the, there has been a rise of interest in that specific mold of player recently. I think that there is so much um, intrigue in augmenting, increasingly augmenting the roles that goalkeepers have in buildup. There's lots of people that are really trying to push the envelope with having keepers even step up between two center backs to get involved in build-up play when they're under a low press. Um, that looks really ambitious, but at the same time, seems as though that's kind of where the tactical trend is going. And so guys like Ederson, I would say Allison, Will, for you, is definitely in that mold. I would say oh, that yeah. there are a variety of other keepers that are just so involved and so comfortable when the ball comes back to them 
um, that, you know, guys like, say, Edward Mendy, who seems more like a line goalkeeper, maybe hesitate a little bit more when the ball comes back to them and they want to maybe get rid of it quicker and they don't want to just kind of play around the back. I remember Jasper Sillison back in the World Cup when he did a Cruyff turn on a striker that was coming, breathing down his neck. It like blew everybody's mind, but then suddenly that became like the reason that he went to Barca and also the emerging thing that everybody was looking for was now can your goalkeepers do skill moves? It kind of became this whole thing. So um, I think this is really, you can enlighten me if it's not the case, but I think this is like the emerging area where people are really, really trying hard to find goalkeepers now that can act like the de facto 11th player as opposed to being so removed from their duties. I definitely think uh, that is the case. I think you're looking at more and more, we expect a goalkeeper to be stopping shots. I think we're slowly seeing a change, or perhaps not slowly, depending on what team you support, of a priority of goalkeepers that are strong in distribution as well. Um, Yeah, exactly. As you said, having that more involved player, having it be an 11th man, not 10 plus a goalkeeper. so yeah, I definitely think ball playing is becoming a more normalized asset or skill to have. But I also think in terms of goalkeeper recruitment, uh, teams need to be aware of looking at the right profile of goalkeepers and realizing if they're not seeing much of the ball, if they're perhaps a team that doesn't rely on possession, you're not going to need a goalkeeper who's known for is great footwork and finding or threading that needle on kind of short or medium passes. Definitely. And, and we can maybe get into this after the, the, the final category, the final bucket of goalkeeper. Will and I had had an episode of the podcast recently where we talked about how detrimental it can sometimes be when teams are constantly looking for replacements of past idols, past icons. So we talked a lot about Chelsea and how it seems like they've had so many different strikers and haven't been satisfied with any of them until they finally got to Lukaku, who is basically just the second coming of Didier Drogba in a lot of different ways in terms of the way he plays, his holdup, his aerial prowess, things like that. And how there's this constant pressure put on young players to live up to the expectations of others that were kind of their predecessors. And so one of the things that we had kind of discussed was that with goalkeepers, maybe it's a little bit different, but why don't we go into the third bucket first, and then we'll dive into that question as well. Yeah, so the final bucket of goalkeeping is going to be your sweeper keeper. They're going to be the ones that are exactly as it sounds, they're coming off the line uh, frequently. They're really good at reading the interceptions and often demonstrate a bit of speed. Uh, Obviously, Everyone's going to have come to mind, at least in the recent years, it's going to be Manuel Neuer. Uh, some will say, and I tend to agree, his game has changed as he's gone older and as he's picked up more injuries. But the Neuer that everyone associates when you first hear his name, he is the very definition of a sweeper-keeper. Yeah, I uh, I want to talk about Neuer for a second, actually. Um, there's there's a conception, and I guess I'll hopefully find out how true it is. But, uh, you know, you you hear places that, you know, Neuer, like, invented the sweeper-keeper position. And I kind of want to tie this into the, uh, the ball-playing goalkeeper as well, because as of Martina and you said, you know, this is something that's been rapidly growing, kind of the demand for this kind of keeper over the past few years. So I'm wondering if... Uh, you know, these three categories, like, is is this something that's just new? Like, if you look back 20, 30 years ago, like, would you even be able to split goalkeepers into these three categories or would they all just be line keepers back in those days? 
I think you can definitely split them into categories. You may have a higher distribution of goalkeepers in the past being line goalkeepers, but I think it also depends largely on the tactical system. So sweeper keepers are especially useful if you're running a very high line of engagement. And I think not many teams have done that throughout the past uh, 30 years. Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent, which means you're getting more and more sweeper goalkeepers. And I think soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, is very much a game of copying the success and refining it. Yes. So if you see, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, you can even consider with uh, England as a national team uh, player example or player build example. England had a period of struggling with no truly good left backs or left backs in their prime. So you see, or not left backs, so right backs. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, right backs in their prime. And now you see a ton of <laughs> international quality right backs because everyone sees as this is something that's lacking. We can train it. We can make that difference and get the glory out of it. Very In addition to that, if you see teams that are doing incredibly well running that high line with a sweeper keeper, you're going to see not only teams looking to emulate it because they're like, this is working, this is good, but you're also going to see a future generation of children looking up, idolizing a certain player that may be doing this well and saying, I want to be like him. I want to play like him. And yeah. you're going to see generations taking after the one that's different, the one that stands out from the crowd. That's fascinating, particularly because I think Neuer, because if we if we look back, I'm not very well versed in my historical goalkeepers, but like I think about like Rene Iguaita, who famously did the scorpion kick, and is that's all over YouTube, and everybody knows about him because he was a nutcase. But at the same time, he was very bold off his line. If you watch a little bit more of him, and so it's one of those things where like it seems as though those tactics did exist in some capacity back then. But it's possible that, for instance, Neuer was the first to really, really do it at a world-class level and do it to the point where he was becoming iconic for those things, but also performing at an incredibly high threshold. And from Neuer, then you see guys like Ederson, who we might have trouble maybe even categorizing in this sense, because Ederson, maybe not so much a line goalkeeper, but between distribution and his ability to come off his line, he does he excels in both those categories. And so it's also, I would probably presume that over time you would see, you know, higher quality in some of the buckets that would receive less of the distribution historically, but you would also see players trying to dip their toes into multiple things at the same time as well. Cause again, that city goalkeeper, I don't know where you would put him if you had to specifically tuck him into one box neatly. Yeah. And that's where I've kind of, at least for me, uh, these categories, I'm sure every goalkeeper analyst out there has his own little models. These are the three that I've used throughout my work, throughout my career. Uh, but I've had occasionally where I just say there's kind of a fourth unofficial one, and that's the all-around goalkeeper. And you have, for example, someone like Ederson, who's incredibly strong in every category. And then you also have the average, uh, it's exactly as it sounds, they're a goalkeeper that is just across the board, mediocre or average. You can't really look at the numbers and say, okay, he's this one or she's this type. It's hmm. okay. They're all around because the numbers, they have nothing significant about them. And that's where you kind of bring in the video or 
uh, live scouting. And once you truly watch them, then you can go back to all the categories or not categories, uh, models and the principles that I mentioned earlier and kind of see, okay, they're meeting more of this build. And that's hmm. where, yeah, the numbers may not always show the complete picture. And I'll say it time and time again, probably many times throughout this podcast, anything you see with the numbers, verify it with your eyes. Anything you see with your eyes, verify it with the numbers. Yeah, very sage advice. I I, I wanted to touch upon a question that I, I had alluded to previously that ties into this kind of bucket system. Um, one th- question, I brought up Edward Mendy earlier, and, and Will, you had brought up Keppa. And I, I thought I found it to be very interesting when Edward Mendy was brought into Chelsea um, as a player to replace a guy that I think seemingly was maybe having sort of behavioral issues, but also primarily was not good enough in terms of his shot stopping, at least from what the fans were seeing. And, and for it, the stats, he was the bottom keeper in the Premier League. I think for pretty much the entire time he was starting in terms of a uh, you know XG versus XGA or the, whatever yeah. the main metric that uh, gets shown for those things is. Yeah, I mean, that that is certainly another... I, it's good to know that too. I didn't know. Um, I think... Um, it cements the fact that I guess Keppa was brought in for a lot of money and ended up not being good enough. And what was fascinating to me was Keppa is very much one style of player and Edward Mendy is an entirely different one. And one thing that Aiden, you and I had talked about kind of loosely before this was this idea that, um, you know, we had chatted on the pod about the fact that sometimes if, if you always look at Yusuf Demir as the next Messi, he'll never meet your expectations. If you always look at Pedri as the next Iniesta, he will never meet that mold. With goalkeepers, there is a little bit of motivation to find a category of goalkeeper or a mold of goalkeeper that actually does emulate what you just had, right? Because differently than the kind of expectations that come with field players, for goalkeepers, it's almost like the Kepa to Edward Many thing was pretty unique. Typically, teams try to find a player that's maybe more similar to what they've had in the past because the rest of the team is very, very accustomed to that and the buckets are kind of starker when they're juxtaposed with one another. Maybe you can talk a little more about that. Yeah, I think there's really, uh, if I'm understanding what you're asking correctly, I think there's really two ways to be looking at it. And you can kind of compare it almost with the hiring and firing of head coaches is if it's working and the coach moves on, you have the players for a certain build, you're going to try and bring that in. You're going to see goalkeepers come in, a goalkeeper moves on, something happens, or you just need an upgrade, but things are going well. You're going to try and bring someone similar in. Whereas with Kepa, for example, you're going to look at it and say, okay, this isn't working. Uh, We need to do something differently. The fans expect something differently. And that's Hmm. where you go and you explore, okay, maybe this type of player isn't working, but looking at what we have, if you're doing it smart, of course, we all know that every team's getting smarter, but some still can sometimes miss the mark, depending on how closely you look at it. Uh, You are going to explore a different category of goalkeeping and look to create a new dynamic. So Mm -hmm. it's very similar to, I think, the hiring and firing of uh, head coaches or managers in the sense that because of how individualized of a position goalkeeping is in terms of the being the cog to a machine, um, it's easier to create more drastic moves with it, but it's also easier to maintain and 
keep the good things going, keep, as you're saying, reminiscing on the good days. This is what the schoolkeeper did for us. Let's try and find that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Chelsea one's a really good example of that. With uh, Like you said, it, it wasn't working with Keppa, so the incentive was then to move on to something else. Um, one other example I want to just touch on briefly maybe before we move on to the next section is a PSG who had something that was working and then still have kind of like half moved on to something else because they, they had Kaylor Navas and still have him. He's been starting a fair amount of their games. But they just brought in Donnarumma as well, who's a very, very different kind of keeper. And I just, I don't know, that that is something that's kind of fascinated me uh, over the summer. It's, you know, maybe not PSG's biggest move, but it might be their most confusing to me that they made this summer. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that of uh, what they might be trying to do with this move. Yeah, I guess to look closely or try not to uh, assume anything with PSG, you can consider the variables of Kaylor Navas is now 34, going on 35 by the end of the season. Uh, They have a new coach that came in, and perhaps there's slowly but surely Pochettino wants to do something differently and slowly changing over. And PSG are always going to buy the best thing on the market. When there's a new Ferrari on the market, they're going to bring in that Ferrari. And Donnarumma (laughs) is that guy. And they're going to look as, okay, we're going to have a generation change here. Navas is not bad by any stretch of the means. He's still performing very well. He's but you very can't good. Guarantee, yeah, you can't guarantee how long Navas is going to be, potentially one of the most underrated, truly elite goalkeepers out there. But what you can do is prepare, have that next step. So it could be one of two things. And without being inside PSG, I really don't know. Yeah, it's either it's, really smart from them looking at a new generation coming and starting to transition to perhaps a new style or at least a new goalkeeper, or it's just PSG buying the new Ferrari to add to their collection. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think it's more towards the latter, though. It's just uh, with Navas in particular, it's kind of an interesting one to me because this, this is not the first time this has happened to him either because he had mm-hmm. a very similar situation at Madrid where he was performing fantastically well for them for years. Then they bring in Courtois, who, again, very, very different kind of keeper to what Navas is offering. And I don't know. It's, uh, like you said, it, it's probably just a generational change thing. But I do find it interesting, you know, that PSG are now kind of switching between these keepers for games. And, you know, that must be something that's yeah. difficult for the rest of the team to adapt to, having very, very different guys in goal. And I think also with Navas, you have kind of speaking on how he's had this happen to him before at Real Madrid. You have the problem of him not being flashy or significant in any way. It's he's an incredibly great stop, stop uh, shot stopper, but that is expected and considered the normal for fans, especially. And obviously, the pressure from the fans is noisier than some people like to admit. Uh, you have Navas, who his distribution is okay. Him coming off the line, it's not really his favorite thing to do, but he's okay at it. Shot stopping, great. Height, pretty much average height. So there's nothing that stands out uh, to the eyes with him. And I think people want that that level of flashiness, that level of something exciting or something different. And I think Navas has always had that kind of going against him because he's incredibly good at stopping shots, but he doesn't bring much else. And I think on that note, one thing that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is just the optics and how optics can be very deceiving for a lot of things in sport. And I think what you're saying is super interesting because 
the, another element to Kaylor Navas that he's kind of missing is like the glamorous nationality, right? He comes from Costa Rica. It's the type of thing that a lot of players coming from the United States recently have had to fight the reputation that the United States has had historically. And when, so when you come in, for instance, if you think of, let's say even American coaches going to Europe, they have to combat in the YouTube comment sections that show the clips from training. The fact that everybody's saying, Oh, I can't get over the fact that he sounds like this, you know? And that's, that's a thing. I think that, you know, he's just a regular guy that speaks Spanish like everybody else within the Real Madrid team. But this younger six foot six, six foot seven, Thibaut Courtois guy that's super arrogant but is exceptionally good and also freakishly large um, works against him because it's just the way that he's perceived. And the same goes for Donnarumma. Donnarumma is super young, massive player. Today played out of his mind. Super, super brilliant performance against Man City. And I guess this kind of goes into some, I don't know, common misconceptions that um, we have about goalkeepers that I'm curious if you have some thoughts on because the height thing is such a simple, easy, low-hanging fruit that I feel a lot of people base their opinions off of players with, where you look at a center back like Mastrano, who's 5'10", or Gary Medell, who was like 5'4", or something, and you're like, yeah, they're probably too small to play center back. You look at a guy who is a goalkeeper like, uh, what was it, Vincent Eniema, maybe, back who played for Lille or something, he was Nigerian, 5'10", or something, and you think, oh, they can't possibly be a good goalkeeper one question i've always had is like what is the deal with height and goalkeepers because i would assume that you know for coming out for crosses it's good if you're six seven or six eight but there's also disadvantages of being tall there's also ways in which maybe young players who are super tall like there's these you know mls youth products that are like 15 and six, six and everybody's losing their mind over them but it's like are they also maybe missing out on certain fine motor skills and I don't know, like, is there a height thing with goalkeepers or is there like a minimum threshold that if you're just at this point, it's okay? What's your thought on that? I think uh, with the height of goalkeepers and again, almost tying with Kaylor Navas, there's a certain level of marketability of every player. Um, And I think you have that mindset of growing up when you're playing just with friends, the tall one, your tall friend, is going to be the one put in goal. Why? Because he's tall. Yeah. And it's you just have that assumption that goalkeepers are supposed to be tall. Uh, you also have the, perhaps they're going to be better at stopping shots because they have bigger hands because they're taller. Uh, and I think uh, it's it's partially like a, an intimidation thing too. I know back back when I was playing uh, youth soccer, you know, we'd come up and the other team would have a keeper that's a foot taller than everyone else. I'd always be like, oh man, this this kid's probably going to be really good. I always felt like it was going to be a tough game. Yeah, yeah. I think it's at least in the professional level. If you're making it as a goalkeeper in the professional level, you're going to be good enough. Um, you're going to have a lot of the shorter goalkeepers, which in all reality are still six foot, six foot one. They're still taller than the average human. Right. Uh, the shorter goalkeepers are going to be more comfortable and making those, uh, I guess, low reflex saves, the kick saves. Um, you're going to have them perhaps being better at using their feet and playing on the ball. Uh, but also 
they're probably going to be almost better at jumping or more agile. Uh, so I think at least in the professional level, it's definitely a misconception that height is important. If you're getting below, yeah, five foot eight, five foot nine, then it's probably becoming an issue because you physically, it will be very impressive if you can cover everything you need to cover in a professional game. Hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of short to average height goalkeepers, if you're making it at the professional level, you're going to be good enough. You're bringing something that's gotten you there. And it may be a different skill set than someone like Courtois, but it's still going to be okay. Makes sense. I think uh, had... uh, Oh, I, I just want to continue on this. I think even, even though there is a very large range, like you said, of uh, kind of general heights for keepers, uh, for the truly elite keepers, it's always seemed to me there's there's not quite so much of a range. It's uh, most of those guys we've been talking about, you know, Allison, Neuer, Oblak, Tristegen are all pretty firmly in that six three, six four kind of area. I'd say that uh, like Navas and Courtois are actually two of the main outliers. They're significantly yeah. outside of that range. So is you, would you say like that is like the ideal height for a keeper? I guess would be somewhere around there. Like if you have all thing, everything else equal, you know, you have players the exact same skills. Like which which height? would be uh john about the prime something around there i think yeah it's uh i believe probably close to three years now um i did a little research on just goalkeeper height and mm -hmm. how their shot stopping is and without doubt the average height or the most common one was exactly as you said six foot three uh so I think that's definitely, if you're getting shorter than that, you may see scouts looking at it closely and saying, okay, what, uh, what else are you bringing to the table? Um, if you see the taller ones, you're going to have the perhaps unintentional bias of, okay, they'll be good at stopping the shots. Uh, but yeah, six foot three tends to be kind of the magic number. Yeah. Obviously, six foot two, six foot four is close enough. Yeah, it's it's a good like all around size. If you're yeah. if you're significantly shorter or taller, you have to be exceptionally good at some things that uh, players of that height are normally not, and that's going to be rarer. Then there's there's a bit more wiggle room with someone who's a bit more in the middle, like those uh, you know, average heights. Yeah. And, um, I guess moving on from this, uh, the other question I had about kind of misconceptions. This kind of goes back to something you were talking about the cognitive models. I think the last one you mentioned was courage, which is a uh, one that. You know, I think is very necessary for a keeper, but uh, maybe maybe taking even this even a step further. Um, I've heard a lot of commentators over the years kind of say that uh, you know not just courage, but almost some level of insanity is required to be a good keeper. You know, they uh, there's an old adage in the English game, at least. You know, a good a good keeper has to be somewhat mental. And you know, I'm just uh, as someone who's worked with a lot of keepers. You say you've been one yourself as well. I'm just wondering if you think there's uh, much truth to that. I think there's some at least, but I don't know they have to be full-blown crazy or not yeah i think uh kind of where that comes from is the thought of oh you're going out there and volunteering to have something shot toward your direction hard and obviously there's a degree of courage or insanity there there's certainly been goalkeepers that i've met throughout my years that are uh raising my eyebrow on how crazy they might be. But you also have to think of, well, if they're a good goalkeeper, the whole point is they're stopping the shot before it gets to them. 
they have good hand-eye coordination uh, primarily. And if you're taking a shot to the stomach or to the face, you're going to make sure that never happens again. Yeah, uh, I remember yeah, when I was 15 or 16, I'd say, I was playing futsal, which I'd say futsal yeah. is the one category of goalkeeping that I was average in or above average even. Um, I remember that there was a penalty, essentially, and off steps someone who, even as a goalkeeper, I was like, I don't want to be facing shots from this guy. <laughs> he shoots them so hard. Especially well, with those futsal I, balls. Those are brutal. Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. rocks well, being pelted yeah. at you and you're like medieval times or something. Exactly, yeah. And I ended up saving that penalty, but I saved it because I got my body in front of it and it was below the belt where my body was that oh, took the oh. shot. <laughs> and oh from there... I made sure one thing that I spent the next few weeks training was making sure my hands were there for the lower shots and making sure they're in the right position because I never want that to happen again. Still to this day, I will get goosebumps about it, thinking about it, because I never want that to happen again. So I definitely think there has to be a degree of insanity or comfort of things very hard being shot at you, but you also have to think that it's view it as a job it's you're wanting to stop it you're wanting to get between it yeah i feel like maybe high pain tolerance goes in hand in hand with those things as well sometimes i'll watch these like goalkeepers take shots like the face right 1v1 even just a toe poke at point blank that's gotta that's gotta suck to take that right on the nose like those are things that i feel like the courage element is really interesting and the craziness thing we talked about guys like ederson guys like neuer who have historically come out and like need other players in the head which is its own problem unto itself but at the same time kind of yeah maybe a value in the sport because goalkeepers are weirdly protected but at the same time you kind of like you had mentioned have to be a little you have to have a screw loose to volunteer to be the subject of a firing squad and that's effectively what you're doing is that you're taking that unto yourself to block things with your own body um, but I think a- apart from, you know, the groin hits and these other kind of more qualitative uh, assessments, one thing that I definitely wanted to get into um, for the rest of our first half here is a way that we can take all of this, right? We had established, Will and I, that we are uh, pretty not uh, strong, let's say, in- with regards to our evaluation of goalkeepers. I still don't know if Ter Stegen is good or not. Um, because unfortunately the, the wave of people saying otherwise has a tendency to persuade me. And so one thing that I want to dive into that I know you have a lot of expertise on is just how we can take numbers and metrics and statistics and actually make sense of some of these things that are harder for us to understand with what just simply meets the eye. Um, I know there's a ton of different resources out there, a ton of different stats in particular, why don't we go into a couple of those different sources and then maybe discuss some of the specific kind of more niche advanced goalkeeper metrics that you like to use to separate different candidates um, and and allow us to better understand that before we head into the second half where we're going to make use of some of those new skills. Yeah, so um, one thing that you'll see throughout all of my work in terms of how I'm going to word it, anything that's public uh, or publicly available, I want it to be accessible and easy to replicate. In my opinion, I don't want to be withholding secrets from people or only making sure that 
my work is only readable by the best goalkeeper coaches out there. I want everyone to be able to take something from it. So the first uh, metrics that I'll kind of run through, I want to kind of touch on the public ones that anyone can get on Google, go to it, and do their own work off of. Uh, first one's going to be Football Reference and StatsBomb. Uh, they have a good partnership going, and they offer for the mostly top five leagues, I believe, uh, kind of more advanced goalkeeping. That's going to be your post-shot expected goals, which essentially, if you're not familiar with PSEG, or XG, rather, um, it's going to be after the shot's taken, when it gets to the goalkeeper. It's going to account for the traffic between the shot. It's going to account for any deflections that happen anything like that it's probably the best shot stopping metric out there for goalkeeping <laughs> and i'd say football reference or stats bomb probably has the most accurate form of this because everything will run through has their own model similar to it but football reference does it in the way that i think is the best perspective for the goalkeeper and that breaks down to per 90 uh plus minus or uh plus minus per 90. And so just to clarify, so XG, maybe even as a more foundational explanation, I know we reference it a ton on the podcast generally, but XG does what? And how does this uh, PS XG kind of take that into account from the goalkeeper side as opposed to the creator of the chance? Yeah, so to break into it fully, uh, XG is if you're going to take a shot from me where there's going to be a mathematical model telling you your likelihood of scoring. If you're shooting from inside the six-yard box, you have a high chance of scoring. If you shoot from 45 yards out, you have a low chance of scoring right. uh, or a low expected goal value. Uh, with the post-shot version, as I mentioned, it's going to do more to account if there's a deflection, if there's a uh, bunch of traffic between. If a goalkeeper is facing a shot from 40 yards out with no one in between, it's going to be very easy. Just scoop it up, redistribute it, good to go. Uh, it's going to be very, very unlikely that it goes in. But if there's a shot from 40 yards out and at the six-yard box, it takes a deflection, that becomes much more difficult to be stopping because you already have the principles of goalkeeping in action. You're already getting to the right spot, being ready on time, having your decision. Um, so yeah, I think post-shot spectacle is same thing as spectacle, just more accustomed to when it hits the goal line, what's it looking like, how difficult is it, rather than the shot itself. And so one thing I wanted to clarify then too is when you talk about plus minus, like what does a good number look like in this stat? What is, how can we interpret the values that we'll be uh, reading into in the second half? Um, really anything positive is good. Uh, I believe you actually see the average and I couldn't explain to you why this is the average, but tends to be about minus uh, 0 0.04. Uh, you're going to really see everyone between minus uh, 0 0.08 to about plus 0 0.08, uh, just that little range. You're not really going to see too many well above or well below. That kind of makes up your average. If you're getting into the uh, teens uh, decimals, um, 
yeah, you're going to either be really good or really bad, uh, depending on if there's a plus or minus in front of you. Yeah, so so if, let's say hypothetically, you have like a 0.25, that's, from what we're discussing, that's a very good score. What does that mean yeah. in terms of like the actual game? Like, what are you contributing with 0.25 PSXG as a goalkeeper? Uh, it means that essentially you're stopping on, if it's a per 90, you're yeah. stopping about a quarter of a goal more than you should, more than what would be expected of you. Uh, so yeah, similar to for an attacker, if you have an expected goal of 1.03, you probably should have one goal scored. Uh, hopefully two if you're overperforming it. If you're a goalkeeper that has five goals conceded, but the expected model has you at 6.7, then you're doing very well at it. You're overperforming a bit because you're preventing more goals than what the model would have expected you to stop. I, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I know we are uh, running up a bit on our first half here, but I, I am kind of surprised that the range is that low because, for example, you know, if you look at the other side, if you look at uh, kind of XG numbers for striker, whatever the equivalent metric would be, there's, there's a much wider gap between the top and bottom in general. So is a, why, why do you think that average is so concentrated? Um, if I were to guess, it's you kind of have, for goalkeepers, there's very few average chances. It's either, yeah, you should save that, or no, hmm. that would have been really tough to stop. Hmm. Uh, if you're kind of thinking through looking at matches... Yeah, there's obviously going to be shots that you might rule as, uh, yeah, he can save that by where he's, um, yeah, I mean, to do perhaps an extension dive and parry it wide, uh, but it's still reachable. It's, yeah, primarily you're going to have shots that are either quite good or it is what it is. It's, so there's, there's a little little less room for you to act there's a you think it's yeah. pretty much you know predetermined to some degree once the shot is taken you know this is going to be an easy save or you know you've got no chance this is just going to go in that makes sense hmm. yeah. yeah we we you have we, we've talked a little bit about some additional metrics aiden some things that have to do with like passing as well what, what do you have on that yeah so um keeping with using uh, football reference or stats bomb just trying to keep the public uh aspect of it there um, you're going to have launching, which is any pass greater than 40 yards. That's going to be your long distributions, uh, includes like goal kicks or even standard passes, such as your center backs dropping the ball back. You launch it up to hopefully either just clear it out or start counterattack. So that's um, the Jordan Pickford special you might add. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'd say so. He's the, <laughs> he's the launch King. Okay. Yeah. What else do we have? Uh, you have your kind of crossing numbers, just like cross percentage, which is successfully stopping a cross. Uh, yeah, those actually tend to be quite low. I think it's because I'm not sure how the number, at least on football reference, is calculated. And this is perhaps me being a bit ignorant for not finding out how they calculate it. But <laughs> I'd imagine it's... Uh, there's a lot of crosses that come in per match and goalkeepers don't come out on all of them. So it's yeah. hard to view it as, oh, you successfully collected that cross versus if you didn't uh, because it ties into the decision-making. Um, and then Got sweeper it. actions. Yeah, you have your outside the penalty area actions. Those also can be referred to as uh, 
exits depending on who's tracking the numbers. Okay. Um, but that's going to be, yeah, how long are you, or how many uh, times are you leaving your line, leaving your box to make an interception or to stop that through ball from becoming a 1v1 that you have to stop. Got it. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, and then just to, I guess, kind of quickly run through, those are kind of what you can get from football reference. Uh, the analyst is Opta data, and it's, at least to my knowledge, fairly new. Uh, I've seen a lot more people using it this year. It has public data available of the big five leagues, all of the EFL, uh, Scottish Premiership, and the English uh, Women's Super League. Uh, and it doesn't have much there for goalkeeping. It's kind of only offering the percent of minutes that a goalkeeper has played available to him and goals prevented, which is very similar to that post-shot expected goal uh, versus uh, it's conceded goals. Um it's kind of just a one number for that without having to do a calculation. Got it. How much they're overperforming. Uh, those two are kind of your free options that I'd recommend to anyone looking to do goalkeeper data for the first time or just learn a bit about it. Uh, as you're more involved or as you're maybe attached to a club, Instat probably has the widest player pool available and they have kind of a deeper selection of shots based uh, or the profile shots. Um, if they're mid-range, long-range, did you hold it? Did you not hold it? Did hmm. you save it? Things like that. And then finally, uh, the last thing I believe this is, or this is what we're going to be using the second half of the uh, podcast is Y Scout. And as we go into it, I'll kind of include the buckets that work with the categories that I explained earlier. Uh, so you have your shot stopping metrics. That's going to be save percentage, uh, prevented goals per 90, which again is like that goals prevented or uh, post-shot expected goal uh, ratios and the shots you're facing per 90. That's going to be primarily good performers. There are going to at least be your traditional in-line goalkeepers, perhaps sweeper or ball playing. If you're a sweeper keeper, you're going to want a good number of exits. You're going to want a high number of interceptions per 90. And this one, you can kind of argue it should be with traditional, depending on how you look at it. But I also include aerial duels per 90 as a sweeper action because you're coming off your line to deal with an aerial duel. Um, and then finally, for ball playing, you have your distribution. And that's going to be the short medium passing per 90. These are essentially all passes under 35, 40 meters or yards. I can't remember which one Y Scout uses. <laughs> and you have your uh, lawn passing per 90, and you have percentages there as well. Fantastic. So I think the the goal then, um, as we go into our halftime break, uh, which will probably be skewed a little bit, we spend a lot of time discussing things at the beginning. We'll have less in the second portion, but we're going to basically take some of those more refined statistics and metrics and employ them for a couple of kind of sample goalkeeper replacement problems that we're going to throw at you, Aiden, uh, ask you some uh, little things that Will and I have been thinking about, teams and specific uh, players that might need switch outs uh, sometime soon. And 
I think what's most interesting about the stuff we just went over is the fact that there's just such a refined way of understanding these things, right? I don't know, Will, what your preconceived notion was for like how these things are really measured. I feel like I, save, I just save go on FIFA ratings mostly, so this is, <laughs> I had no idea about all this stuff. Exactly. I feel like I feel like save percentage is probably the most intuitive. We're just like, okay, if they faced five shots and they saved. 80% of them, but the fact that that can also be so misleading and might not tell the full picture, I, I think that these additional things and the way that we've separated it into buckets will also help us in the second half um, as we try to make educated kind of boardroom decisions in our first also kind of more gamified section of the pod. So yeah. without further ado, um, let's go into the break, get rehydrated, and we'll be right back. What's up, dudes? We talked about ways we're going to understand keepers, and now we're going to use it. We're back with <laughs> Martin and Aiden Ray, and uh, yeah, we, we've been talking a bit about stats. Now we're going to put that to more practical effects, start uh, looking at some actual clubs, some actual scenarios, and seeing uh, maybe we can find some good replacements for some keepers that you know, might need to be shifted on, put out to pasture. So uh, I think we'll just get straight into it. We're running I have to a bit say, low on time here. Before we dive into it very quickly, the reason I'm laughing is just because we had uh, rehearsed um, five seconds before we entered the half as to what Will was going to say. And I don't think I've ever seen a f true performance executed so close to the uh, rehearsal ever. So props to Will for the strong intro. But um, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But that's why don't, right. we, Let's just why don't we why don't we go ahead and get started? What do you want to do, Will? Which one do you want to start with? Let's uh, let's start off with you. Yeah, uh, you got sure. one. Yeah, I can take the first one. So um, basically, our hope is to give Aiden some kind of scenarios and have him do all the hard work for us as we sit back and enjoy his labor. So um, the first one that I have for you, Aiden, the first scenario is an expansion MLS team. So. The MLS has been, over the course of time, uh, adding more and more clubs to its collection. That seems to be the trend generally. I'm no expert, but from the outside, it looks like that's what's happening. Um, I am envisioning a expansion team that, say, comes from the humble town of Champaign, Illinois, where William and I are both from, um, and is looking to make it big in the big leagues, has yeah. come from the depths of the USL and is looking to... You know, there's no relegation, which we can, we've talked about that plenty, obviously, and everybody has talked about that plenty, but they're looking to not be in the bottom spots. They don't want to be a club that is just languishing in the depths of their table. They want to try to, you know, maybe not be in the second or third worst spot, but not the very, very bottom. So um, for this expansion MLS team, the stipulations we're going to add uh, are that our budget is pretty limited. You can let us know what's reasonable, but but I think nothing more than one to two million for this player seems like it makes sense. That's probably actually a lot of money um, for an expansion club, but we're just going to use that for now. And um, just as a additional consideration that's not necessary, but might be desirable, uh, we want this to ideally be a Spanish-speaking North American player. So... A lot of imports come from South America and Central America into the MLS. Um, we're going to hypothesize that just like a lot of teams that are in Texas, California, Florida, those types of areas, we have a lot of Latino speakers on the team and we want this guy to be able to gel well with the coaching staff that is largely Spanish speaking and things of that nature. So 
with that problem ahead of you, Aiden, how would you go about uh, taking our massive database in Y Scout of players and, and kind of whittling down to some compelling options or maybe even one good pick? Yeah, so I guess uh, the first thing I would start with, if we are considering a North American Spanish speaker, the first thing I'll do in Y Scout is put in passports of using either the United States as a passport being held or perhaps Mexico. Um, you could go in later to looking at the leagues throughout South America, but to start, we'll just do holding a passport in those two countries or one sure. of those two. Uh, age, given it's an expansion team, obviously we've seen with perhaps Cincinnati, who you could certainly say might not have been the best execution of joining MLS, but... <laughs> With the uh, Polish goalkeeper they got, who's already kind of in the uh, final stages of his career, will hmm. kind of cap off the age at 32, but there's nothing that says we can't get a goalkeeper that's 21, uh, so we'll kind of make that the minimum. Okay. Uh, market value, and this is in uh, euros, uh, just default through transfer market imported into Scout. Uh, you're going to have probably two mil to work with. For the sake of having good data, uh, we're probably going to be looking at the current calendar year and about 1,500 minutes played. And this is where, I guess, if I'm going to ask you guys, based on the categories that we discussed earlier, you're now the general managers of this <laughs> uh, new MLS expansion team. Yes. How do you want your team playing? Do you want heavy possession where you have the ball playing goalkeepers? Do you want a heavy press and a high line of engagement so you might need a sweeper or are you just hoping to play the more generic style and want to prioritize a shot stopping i, so, I want to play a very generic style with my expansion team i'm uh, you know it's our first year <laughs> i'm not trying to get too adventurous i think we need to solidify and then uh, move forward from a strong foundation yeah, All I right, would say yeah. we want to take after more of like the Sean Dyche uh, Burnley ball where we're absorbing a lot of pressure, trying to stave off goals. But we probably don't have the the muscle to really inflict our will, impose our will on other teams. So I would agree with Will. All right. Well, then what we're going to do is the first thing we're going to prioritize shot stopping. So preventing goals per 90 is the metric we're going to look at. Let's try and find someone as close to positive on it as we can. We'll filter that to be a minimum of minus point uh, zero sits. And so that, uh, say, just to recap, the idea is that's going to be a positive impact on uh, preventing more goals than you should from our previous conversation. Correct. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And we're going to go ahead and for uh, assuming you are going to be playing that kind of weather the storm, but still traditional hope for the best. Let's yeah. go and take a look at long passes because you're probably going to have a lot of longer distributions. Sure. Now, one thing to consider with this metric is it's accounting for you having someone talented enough to be receiving those long passes, and sometimes goalkeepers can get punished by this. But hmm. we're going to want a goalkeeper that's completing about 60% or more of his long passes. Okay. And, and for those of you that aren't obviously looking at the screen right now, one thing that's cool to watch as Aiden has, is going here, we can kind of see the list of candidates becoming thinner and thinner and thinner as we add these filters. So it's definitely interesting to see how this helps us kind of by process of elimination cut down our choices. Right now we're down to about how many would you say? Seven. Oh. 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're finally down to seven. Uh, yeah, and one thing we did add in was lawn passes per 90. Obviously, you can have a great percentage of lawn passes completed if you've only done one and it was successful. <laughs> so yeah, I put in about eight lawn passes per 90. It's in the upper end of everything. Uh, for the sake of having a few more candidates, we'll drop it down to seven. That bumps us from uh, seven to nine goalkeepers that we can potentially get. Awesome. And one name that immediately is standing out to me in terms of age, if we filter in prevented goals per 90 as the primary one, then what we can look at, we have pretty much all the players in positive thanks to our filtering. If we're going to rule out, there's a player from Hartford Athletic, there's a player from Union Omaha and Detroit City. With all due respect to those players, they're not quite the level we're looking for. So perhaps one player we can look at is a 21-year-old playing in Mexico. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not too familiar with the competition. <laughs> but uh, Luis he's Lopez. For, yeah, he's playing for Dorados. Luis Fernando Lopez Pajan. Okay, interesting. He's got a market value of 400K. Very reasonable for our expansion team. Uh, what do his numbers look like across the board? He's a 99 birthday. Okay, younger than me. Sheesh. Uh, what else has he got here? So, yeah, he's actually uh, doing quite well at preventing goals. Uh, he's 0.162. He comes off his line a average amount, so he's not too much of a sweeper, but he's capable if, if there's a through ball that comes in and your defense is caught off a bit. And, uh, yeah, his distribution, long passes per 90. He has about 7.62 long passes per 90, and he's completing 70% of those. Awesome. Now, I will say, yeah, we have him. Uh, he's definitely a younger candidate. And perhaps even though he has a high market value, uh, looking at when his contract is over, you could maybe talk him into just coming up and being that number two for a bit because one name that was coming to mind is uh, Michael Lansing. Okay. I believe he might have spent some time in MLS at one point or another, but he's a 27-year-old American. I don't know if he speaks Spanish or not. That's not something we can <laughs> take into consideration, but he's yeah. 27. He can work as that stopgap. Uh, his prevent goals are 0 0.09, but he's doing more long passes for about 64% accuracy, and he's facing 4.68 shots per game. Uh, so he's staying busy in goal. He kind Got of it. works as someone who can be more well-rounded for you. Awesome. I think we have two fantastic mm -hmm. candidates. I think with that, maybe, uh, Will, do you want to take us into our next uh, GM challenge? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I want to, I guess, kind of leading off the back, you got me thinking with our very defensive style of play of uh, another favorite defensive manager of mine, Jose Mourinho, who's... Uh, just moved over to Roma in recent years. And Roma, or just this year, actually, I don't know what I'm talking about. But Roma are kind of a, in a bit of a, you know, retooling phase. They're, they're going a bit younger with their team in general. And one position that is not kept up with that at all is their goalkeeper, who is currently a Rui Patricio, who's, you know, getting up there in years now. He's been around and playing at the top level forever. And he's... You know, not not had the best start to the season in general. So I'm uh, kind of interested, you know, where Roma might be looking for this keeper for the next generation. And uh, 
some kind of stipulations I'll put in, you know, due to the Mourinho play style, you know, he, he requires very specific things from a keeper. So Mourinho is always someone who generally plays, you know, kind of a lowish block, someone that uh, his teams never get counterattacked too much. So I don't think a sweeper keeper is really the profile we're looking for here. And generally, uh, I think uh, Mourinho is someone who really likes quick counterattacks, being able to play out well. So I think a long passing is really going to be the key metric uh, in terms of distribution for this keeper. I don't think uh, the short passing is too crucial. Um, and of course, you know, he's got to be a great shot stopper. As Mourinho does not like letting in goals. You know, he loves those clean sheets. He, he needs a keeper who loves them too. And I think... Uh, Age, definitely a consideration. Probably want someone, you know, under 25, around that age range. And, you know, Roma are a team who have, you know, shown some willingness to spend in the past on keepers. I think anything up to, what, 30, 35 million, something in that range, Martin, you think sounds realistic? Yeah, I would say maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room for age just because Roma's trying to get results and it's possible. Yeah, that's fair. Some yeah, maybe 25 is too young for a keeper. Maybe we should uh, up that 28, something like that. Yeah, somewhere around yeah. 28, 30, I think, is is probably still yeah. reasonable, though the younger side of that is definitely preferable. Yeah. But they, um, they want someone who's still going to be around, you know, when Abraham and Pellegrini and Mancini, all these players, or Ibanez, all these guys are still uh, developing. You know, Roma definitely. have a bright future ahead of them for sure. I would say that maybe our budget, I don't know, Aiden, what are your thoughts on budget? What do we think is reasonable for Roma at this current time? Yeah, so I'd say with Roma, uh, I think given some of the things that they have spent and might will be or potentially spending in the future, I would probably be staying as close to that 20 mil, preferably 10 to 15, because you're still going to find a goalkeeper, a first team quality for that, but hmm. you also don't want to burn your full budget. Yeah. Uh, and teams are definitely impacted. Obviously it'd be nice to have the perfect world, uh, where we don't have to consider COVID implications, but team budgets are certainly lower because of just now starting to get that fan revenue back. Uh, yeah, uh, that's attendance. fair. I wonder so, if even setting the budget to something like 20 also will keep our prospects realistic. Because I think that if you're looking at goalkeepers that are worth like 30 million even, we start getting into territory where suddenly these players are not going to go to Roma anymore. They're probably setting their sights yeah. on things that are maybe even a little loftier than that. So... Perhaps even dropping that a tad will help us narrow down our candidates a little bit too. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so uh, I guess looking at uh, first thing, we'll just do an age. Uh, let's do 24 to 29. We're going to want players with a European Union passport. Sounds good to me. I believe Syria is a bit stricter on the international. Yes, and... they, they generally are. Yeah, you're going to need at least a EU passport, preferably just simply be Italian to make things easiest. Uh, we're going a... to, again, look at about 1,500 minutes on the field. Okay. Uh, lawn passes will bump up. Uh, we'll have five and a half lawn passes per 90, put about 65, 66% accuracy on it, uh, yeah. just to make sure we're getting that high enough quality Mm -hmm. uh, prevented goals, we're purely looking at positive this time. We're looking at 0 0.05 or higher. Uh, and then I, would even, to... I would even venture to say that we could even maybe push that a tad, just because I see we have a couple of different options on the table, but with Mourinho, it's just such an important criteria. We could maybe play with that a little to narrow things down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we just went from probably 14, 15 options to now getting closer to 9, 8, something like that. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, from there we have the eight candidates. Uh, just to kind of run through some of the names that may be more noticeable, uh, we have Cohen Castillos, who's at Wolfsburg. Uh, we have Mattia Perrin, who's at Juventus. Uh, yeah, he could be someone. But hmm. what we're going to do, again, because it's Jose Mourinho, we really care about preventing goals. We're going to have it filtered by preventing goals per 90. Uh, the higher up or the better you are at it, we're going to put that as our main thing to have on the list. Um, but we also want to make sure Jose Mourinho is going to be very results-based in everything. Mm-hmm. We're going to want to make sure he or this goalkeeper is facing enough shots per game. So we're going to have shots per 90 included this time around. Okay. And we're going to make sure he has about three shots per match. So this still keeps us at eight goalkeepers. Uh, what we can do is we can consider, okay, we have these eight. Let's drop the age down slightly. We don't want a 29 or 28-year-old. We're just going to do 24 to 27. Yeah, perfect. That gives us three goalkeepers. Okay. Now we who do we have, have here? So we have uh, Juan Musso, who's uh, Argentinian, but also holds an Italian passport. He's at Atalanta. He's 27 right now. With how Atalanta performs, it might be difficult to get him to go to Roma, especially given he's uh-huh. going to be kind of a higher market value. But he's a right. very good shot stopper. The Italian very, very different styles of play, Atalanta and Roma. Uh, yeah, that might be a tough transfer for him. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one we have staying in Syria is we have Emil Adaro. Uh, he's Indonesian and Italian. I believe he would count as a homegrown and country player. Um, mm-hmm. He comes off the line a bit more. It has a lot of short passing, but he overall spends decent amount of time on the ball. Uh, he's a younger candidate it. too. Yep, he's only 24. He'd fit that. Mm-hmm. Still successful now, but looking toward the future. He's not coming off his line much, which is very positive. I'd say for about 15, maybe 17 mil, you can get Emil Adara and he's going to be able to be a viable number one right away and for many years to come. Hmm. And if that still isn't quite working, because he does have a long contract, his contract expires in 2026, you can finally end with... uh, over in Benfica, you have a uh, German Greek, you have uh, Vachodimos at Benfica, and yeah, he uh, here's interesting. He perhaps might be known to the FIFA or football manager crowd. He's kind of one of those guys. Uh, decent preventing goals, very good save rate, and really the problems might lie with his distribution. His distribution may not fit the. Uh, Jose Mourinho style. So I would say our uh, Sampdoria goalkeeper, Emil Adaro, is going to be the one you want. All right. Very cool. Yeah. I think it's uh... good to have backup options. And also, if it ends up being the case that the Serie A teams are unwilling to strengthen a competitor, we've got one that's outside in a different league who's coming up as a young player, too. Um, 
that's an excellent, I think, trio to work with. Do we want to move yeah. on perhaps? I've, to been, our... uh, I've been impressed too about how well this is working. I mean, all, all three of those options and even quite a few of the ones we uh, cut with that last uh, age change right before. I mean, those those all seem like, you know, very realistic transfers for the type of thing they're looking at. A lot of those are guys I could actually see Roma buying. So I've, uh, you know, maybe it's just confirmation bias, but I'm impressed so far by how well this uh, filtering system has been doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the the next one that we'll do, I'm equally impressed. Will I think this is super fun for us to just yeah. watch? I mean, Aiden's very good at this. It's, it's yeah. exciting to see how you can whittle down the candidates in a way that you and I probably would have no idea. We'd just be sitting here being like, "Is he tall?" or something like that. Um, what's our What's our next one? Um, why don't we Why don't we go to Ajax? I'll take Ajax. Um, they have an interesting scenario with uh, Andre Onana, who had the bizarre suspension this year, but is now probably likely off to Inter. I know Barcelona have wanted him probably to come back, but it doesn't really seem like he has a clear path to the first team uh, with Ter Stegen. I know that there are a ton of young talents within the Ajax kind of cohort. Um, there's some really young guys like Setford and Ratsy that are probably way too young to be in the first team since these guys are competing in the CL, occasionally in the Europa League, but pretty much in the champions league trying to get some semblance of results um gorder i know is is regarded reasonably highly but it's it's difficult to say whether he has the desired ceiling uh stecklenberg is i know we mentioned him as the quintessential kind of line keeper but he's definitely getting on in years so it seems like ix is an interesting kind of high performing environment that is looking for a young guy to come in and maybe take the reins so what do you have for us aiden yeah, so with Ajax, you're going to be looking at ideally someone who is going to speak uh, Dutch, but also they obviously don't mind a player from Scandinavia. Uh, yeah, they, they're not incredibly limited on what players or where they're coming from. We just have an ideal probably wanting to be Dutch speaking, so we'll keep that in mind if we come down to a few candidates. Now, Ajax, uh, I haven't been able to watch too much of them, but we're going to say just considering how they might be playing, they might just see a slightly higher line, if I were to just guess. so yeah. In yeah, the Eredivisie, at least, yes. Yeah, so we're going to bump up, looking for probably two interceptions per 90. We still definitely want very good short distribution. Uh, I feel like Ajax is going to be pretty good on the distribution side of things so we're going to put about 10 short passes per 90 totally. and this one because it's short passes you don't really have to worry as much about the percentages um so yeah it's i'm actually going to bump down the interceptions because i think i over filtered it to 1.4 interceptions just to make sure we have a wide variety to make sure we of course include the preventing goals this is another one where, honestly, with how often they score, we don't have to worry as much about it. We're right. going to put uh, minus 0.12 as the prevent goals per 90 that we need. And is there anything else that we feel is needed? I I think maybe age and budget are two critical ones for Ajax. Ajax tend to bring in younger players and they don't tend to really break the bank for that many people. So I think maybe limiting our budget and limiting the age might help us. Yeah. All right. So let's do 21 to about 26 years old. That way we have that kind of immediate first team ready player. Okay. We're going to keep them 1 mil to 10 mil in price because 
let's be honest, we uh, still want a good Ajax quality, still capable of winning the Eredivisie every year uh, goalkeeper. Now, immediately, we still have 37 candidates here with the filtering <laughs> we've done. So cool. this is where you can kind of refine it. This is where it's, okay, we have a good player base. Let's go ahead and bump up the prevented goals to just simply being positive rather than okay. having anything but negative. Great. So that um, limits so, us. It cuts off like 11 candidates. How about, yeah. um, let's say, let's overload a little bit more on the passing. Let's say we really want to focus maybe on, on the short passes. Um, that seems like a, a key component of Ajax's buildup and the way that they like to kind of play with their general uh, academy methodology. All right. So let's go from 10 to 15 passes, uh, short, medium per 90. And okay. let's go ahead and make sure, even though there shouldn't be too much of an issue here, that we have 97% uh, distribution uh, successful in the short awesome. game. Awesome. Okay. So now Let's we have. It. Now we're down to what? Six candidates. Let's yep. We see. are down to six candidates. And High level. What are we working with? Yeah. So immediately, two of the names that come up is uh, Paul Lopez at Marseille. He's probably not going to come to IATS, unfortunately. Robert Sanchez, <laughs> certain or certainly is not going to leave Brighton, especially with how well they're playing. No. So that kind of leaves us as we have a few players that might not be good enough. We have a few players that are playing at lower leagues and are only valued at about one to two mil. So this is where we can bounce back. Okay, maybe we filtered too much. Let's do 13 short medium passes per 90. Maybe and even a little lower. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. good. Uh, we'll drop it down to 12 then do just a nice dozen. And this brings us to a dozen goalkeepers. Ooh, okay. So I see a very compelling one right there. I see Larseneur from Brest, mm -hmm. uh, yep. a League One side. He's a younger guy, reasonably young. He's not Ajax, you know, super, super spring chicken, but he's 24. What does he bring to the table? Yeah, so one of the two players I'd say on this list that seem uh, interesting to me. His distribution, he's averaging about just under 15 short medium passes per 90. Uh, very good percentage. He's above 98%. It tends to be everyone's close to 98%. You want it slightly better than slightly worse, obviously. Hmm. He's coming off his line about 1.4 times per match. But where he stands out a bit is his prevented goals are decent. Yeah. He's, uh, he's really good. So, Given what we're yeah. looking for. Yeah, that's very solid. Yeah, he is a prime shot stopper who is market valued at 7 mil. Probably given it's IATS, about 10 mil would be good. Very reasonable. The, okay. Yeah, he's good bargain buy. He's a 1997 player, so he's 24. Um, he could be buying the January window still at 24. Next season, he'll hit 25. He's a February-born player. And I would think um, that the jump from Brest to Ajax would be reasonable for a guy looking to kind of make the next step in their career. So that feels very, yeah. you know, sensible. Yeah. yeah, and the other guy has a, that we're looking at here has a very similar profile, which I guess is what we're filtering for. But even still, you know, on this list, yeah, you know, he also comes from one of these league on teams about the same age. Yeah, so the biggest difference here are Nets candidate is going to be a pre-drag Rekovic, which if you know me, you know I'm a big fan of the Eastern European goalkeepers. He comes from <laughs> Serbia. Uh, so the difference between him and our other candidate is height. So Reykjavik is about 1.91 uh, meters. Um, 
Let's see here. I'm trying to do the mental conversion in my head. I used to be much better at this. I know no. I stand up 1.86. I can do it. You you can go ahead and continue with the other stats. I'll look it up. Yeah. All right. So about, yeah, he, he's 6.95 Peter Crouches. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good conversion. Okay. Um, so Reykjavik is, is 6.3 from what I'm getting. You said 1.91 meters? Yep. Okay. And then what was uh, Larsener? Larsener is 1.81. So he's a bit on the shorter side. Interesting. He's 5'9". So he's a small guy. Okay. Yeah. So we have this little bit of more average height to tall. And then we have a short goalkeeper. Um, and what we see with Reykjavik is perhaps uh, his distribution. He's slightly fewer passes, but pretty much the uh, same accuracy. Uh, his long passing is could be improved, I'd say, but fortunately, we're not too worried about that. His prevented goals are at 0.096, so essentially 0.1, which is incredibly good. Yeah. Yeah, he's coming off his line pretty much the exact same amount as Larsener. Um, Yeah, he is probably going to cost more, about 12 mil, maybe 15 mil. His contract expires at the end of 2023, Hmm. uh, so the end of next season. Which isn't um, bad, I guess. Yeah. And, and that paired with the fact that, that Brest is firmly in 19th right now in the table, they probably are going to be reluctant to let go in the January transfer window of their what might be their starting goalkeeper. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But even if it's their number two, that might not be a position they're willing to budge with. So it seems like Rekovic might be a compelling option yeah. here. Yeah, so I'd say one of those two are going to be your uh, most ideal candidate. Awesome. I'm curious if, uh, if you had to pick right now, you know, it- Gun to your head, one of these two guys um, is the. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! No violence on the podcast, Will. Uh, sorry, uh, something else to your head. One of these two guys, um, you know, is is that extra few inches of height worth the extra, you know, five million or whatever it would be? In your in your opinion, I think it's less about the extra five inches, more about the shot stopping. I'm very much yeah. someone who the better shot stopper you are, the more I like you. I'm a traditionalist in that sense, hmm. um, so I take Rakovic. Uh, also, especially given this, we want someone who's still going to be able to compete for a while, but is pretty close to his prime and an established player. He just has that. He's one year older, not too big of a difference, but it's an additional 30, 32 matches potentially that he's played. Hmm. That he has that much more experience in, so I'd probably go with him. All yeah. right. That sounds great to me. Will, do you want to take our next one? Um, get to pick? We, should, we should probably move into our next section, actually, Martin. We're getting right up against it here. I would, well, what do we think? Maybe we can do one more quickly and then we can go into our final rapid fire session. What do you think? Do we have time for that, Aiden? You let us know. Uh, yeah, let's go and do one more and then we can move into that final bit. I have a few more minutes here. All righty. Do we want to do Hertha in that case? Uh, yeah, we can do Hertha. That's fine. All righty. All right. Aiden, why don't you, you can lead the way here. You've seen more of maybe the Bundesliga than, than either Will and I have. I just know that Hertha has had some difficulties this year and their goalkeeper maybe has uh, been challenged a, a reasonable amount as well. Yeah. So with uh, Hertha, you have uh, big spending happening right now with the club that isn't necessarily getting the results on field that they should need. Um They've brought in Alexander Swallow from Freiburg, who was decent there, was 
pretty reasonable, but he hasn't quite worked out uh, in Berlin. So it's definitely time to be looking at a new goalkeeper. So what we can be doing is looking at essentially players in the prime age 25 to 32. Maybe we can do 24 just for sake of having a few more names in there. Okay. Uh, market value, let's go ahead and do about 5 mil to 20 mil. Um, this one, because of the uncertainty of the head coach's uh, Pau Dardai's uh, future, or whichever Dardai it is, um, <laughs> since there's a few there, I think his son plays for Hertha as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, let's go ahead and let's try and create a more well-rounded, all-around goalkeeper candidate. Okay. Sure. So let's go ahead and do... Let's try and find someone who's doing about 1.4 interceptions per 90 and do a solid uh, 10 short medium passes and 7 long passes. This kind of covers the not quite ball playing, but still decent enough. Okay. Um, and then let's go ahead. They're facing a lot of shots right now. The defense is a bit leaky. So let's try and find someone who's facing about four shots uh, per 90. Cool. We've got it down to like eight names, yeah. I think. Yeah. And then uh, finally, let's go ahead and it's probably going to be hard pressed to find someone who's that elite of a uh, shot stopper um, given their current stance. But what we're going to do is just about a uh, minus 0 0.17 uh, per van goals per 90. But facing a high number of shots, it becomes difficult to keep up on that. It's easier to get ahead, I'd say, with fewer shots because they're probably lower quality shots. Um, it's interesting to see a lot of the same names that we've been uh, working with kind of come up just generally as like high quality candidates. We're seeing uh, Odero and Larsener here on the on the page amongst our top yeah. seven candidates. It's the, very interesting. Ortega has also been pretty deep into the filtering on a couple of the last ones as well. I've noticed that name pop up a couple of times. Yeah, from yeah, so, yeah, so what we can basically do right away is, yeah, we can consider the names that we've previously mentioned. Uh, they're going to be, I guess, similar levels and probably a similar wage packet. Uh, a couple of names on here. Uh, Jerry Pavlenka, he spent his last season in second tier. Uh, he used to be someone who was quite good, uh, probably 2016. He was, in my yeah. opinion, one of the best goalkeepers in Bundesliga. I remember. But unfortunately, his career's kind of really, uh, he's not performing like he used to. Um, okay. So because he's playing second tier, we're going to ignore him. And then we could say Oliver Ballman probably isn't going to leave Hoffenheim for Hertha. Same can be said about Kevin Trapp. So that leaves us with two goalkeepers, uh, Drakowski at Fiorentina, mm. and then Stefan Ortega at uh and our filter right now is just the previous calendar or this current calendar year um just in case you're curious about that or wondering what numbers we're getting but we have someone who has experience kind of playing for that relegation battling bundesliga side and ortega or we have someone who's young and has quite a bit of experience despite his age and the syria and Drakowski. um I am pretty interested in Drakowski, and with that being said, his numbers, 
he struggled a bit this year, and by a bit, I mean he's let in 6.4 more goals than what would be expected of him, and he mm. barely meets our quota for preventing goals per 90. Interesting. Uh, but his distribution is good, and he comes off the line a fair bit well. Um, he seems like more of a long-term solution than a short-term solution, given that he's 24, and right now he's kind of going through a rough patch. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be one of those where... He might be expensive for what it is. I still think he has a good bit of potential. I like what I see in him. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, he may not be the guy right now. And then finally, you have uh, Stefan Ortega, who he's been someone who actually is quite a good shot stopper. He did well in the Bundesliga. He definitely was on the firing line a lot playing for Bielefeld. Um, he hmm. has a tremendous amount of time on the ball. He's 21.3 short medium passes per 90 wow. and 19.1 long passes per 90. And he's, what's his yeah. completion with each of those? Uh, so he's 98.67% on the short medium and 69.67 on the long. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, this is above average uh, distribution all around, above average preventing goals. Uh, he's going to be coming very cheap, probably less than 10 mil, which is very comfortable for Hertha Berlin spending. Oh, yeah. And he could be someone who, yeah, if he ends up as a 28-year-old, he's obviously going to want to play as many minutes as he can, but he's in the final year of his contract as well. That's an so awesome that candidate. Him, yeah. yeah, that can get him a bit cheaper and should uh, Alexander Swallow uh, start doing well or revitalizing himself i think ortega would be perfectly fine being that cup goalkeeper that plays six or seven league matches throughout the year and i think he could be a true affordable goalkeeper that might not be getting Hertha berlin into a european qualifying spot but is at least going to bring a bit of stability with his experience not only as a goalkeeper but in the league itself that's fantastic. That's like so, looks like such a fa- like brilliant candidate for us to pick from. I guess I wanted to thank you, Aiden, at least for this section. I wanted to have one final thing that we did at the very, very end. I know you're pressed for time. I um, wanted to do just fire a couple of names at you. So this will be less of a filtering game and trying to find something with our own skills and more just looking at some of the young prospects that have been thrown around and, and highly touted over the last couple of years or months. And I'm going to ask you just to share with us what's the single thing that stands out to you most about their stats um, from the database, just to keep things quick. Um, so I suppose we can go ahead and start. We'll alternate maybe, Will, if that sounds good to you. Uh, um, yeah, sure. I think I'll start with Elon Millier. He's the Leeds goalkeeper, young guy, French. Uh, what's the thing that you like most about him, Aiden? Yeah, so I love his short game, uh, short distribution, and I love his shot stopping. Um, he's kind of one of those who definitely taking the mold of perhaps more of a ball playing as you need him, uh, but he's also very comfortable coming off the line. It's great seeing a young player that well-rounded and still getting the job done in goal defense. Uh, he is great for leads, and they are lucky to have him. Awesome. Uh, great. I'll start uh, with uh, Albin Lafont is a name that was getting thrown around loads, uh, I think probably four or five years ago at this point. Um, he's kind of dropped off, not quite the hot prospect they used to be, but I'm interested to see if there's uh, any stats that show he's still uh, got something to offer, maybe. 
Yeah, so with LaFont, um, given his recent time with uh, Nats and League Un, uh, he is still kind of he's struggling on the shot stopping side of it. Um, yeah, it's he definitely has some work to do, but he's only 22. He still has plenty of years ahead of him and his distribution. He's not that involved on the ball. He's not coming off his line that often. But as of right now, he's an average player. And for only being 22, that's not a bad place to be. Interesting. All right. So next candidate, I'm going to throw at you Martin Vandevoort. I think he's a gank player, young Belgian guy, has some nice hair and looks to be pretty decent. But what do the numbers say? Yeah. So with him, uh, he is a tremendous shot stopper and he is a very good distributor. He's averaging over 20 short medium passes per game. He's about 98% on it. Uh, His long passes are about average, but significantly above average in accuracy. And yeah, preventing goals, he's about 0.19 per 90. He's not coming off his line very often, so he's definitely more of a ball-playing goalkeeper. Only at 19, he is a very bright future ahead of him. And I'd be curious to see when he gets his next move up. I don't think it'll be too long before we see him on the transfer market. Uh, all right. Um, I'll go with the uh, keeper. I just saw for the first time today. and uh, <laughs> Admittedly did not, did not have the best game. Uh, Diogo Costa is the new keeper for Porto. I watched him play against Liverpool today. He had a bit of a disaster, but to be fair to him, so did pretty much every single Porto player. But uh, the the commentators were saying, and I they might have a small sample size on this since he's just started, but that he's been their starter for most of the season. He's generally been performing very well. So, you know, as someone who maybe saw the worst of him today, I'm curious to know what you know the good things he has to offer are. Yeah. So with him, if we look purely at this season, he's played 880 minutes. Uh, he has good height to him. Uh, he's actually done quite well in shot stopping. He's prevented 0.281 goals per 90. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. I mean, a small sample size, but I think that's the highest yeah. number we've seen so far. So much yeah. for the Champions League performance. But yeah, that's like, that looks like a good number, despite the fact that it's like half the minutes that we've been kind of filtering with our other candidates. Yeah, so I definitely want to just bring it to current season only, just to make sure, as you mentioned, oh, is he playing this year? Um, his distribution is good. He's above average involvement on the ball, and the numbers are fairly good, a little bit above average. And uh, yeah, he's coming off his line an average amount. He's definitely kind of toying the line of being a ball playing goalkeeper. I'd say it's mm-hmm. safe to put him in that category. So I'd say Casa is a good candidate, and that 22 uh, Portuguese and Swiss passports. Uh, he'll be another one to see how his career develops. Yeah, just kind of tacking on to this. I know we're running out of time already. I shouldn't add more questions. But, you know, I, Costa Costa didn't do, you know, all, all the stuff you said. I can see, you know, he, he seems to have some good distribution. He comes off the line well. But, you know, the, what really sunk him today was just, like, horrendous mistakes. And I'm wondering if, like, there's any stat you have to look at that. Because I, I know, like, there's errors leading to goal for a goalkeeper. But that, you know, in my experience, is just, like, wildly inaccurate. And it, it doesn't track things very well at all. Because it's just, like... You know, it's a very, uh, you know, thin line between what gets decided as an error and what is not. And it's just a binary stat. It's only a one or zero. Yeah. So um, with that, there's not really a metric, at least available on Scout. 
Is that really just an eye test thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of mostly yeah. an eye test thing. That's where it's it'll just come down to well, live or video scouting. I guess I'm glad I had the eye test then, because you know, <laughs> going off the numbers, I would have thought this guy was uh, not quite so shaky. <laughs> A total legend. Okay, so yeah. moving on to our next one, I want to ask about Unai Simon. Uh, this is my last one. Will, you've got one left, but um, he was, I think, a interesting player this summer during the Euros. People were maybe a little bit potentially surprised to see him. He's a young guy at 24. He's entering kind of some strong years. Athletic Bilbao have a history of producing some very decent keepers in the past, though some of them historically have gone to uh, Chelsea and not fared so well. But this one seems intriguing. He had a blunder, like we were talking about, Will, like you just mentioned, um, and an own goal um, in the Euros. But he does seem to be really promising. I want to hear what your thoughts are on him. Yeah, just quickly checking out the numbers on him. Uh, at 24, his distribution, pretty average. He's actually not passing many long balls, and his short medium is in line with the average. Uh, he's not really coming off his line too much. His interceptions are okay uh, per 90, and his prevented goals, he's just above expectations on it. Interesting. I'd say he is nothing bad about him. But at 24, there's at the moment nothing outstanding about him. And perhaps, yeah, that might be more in line with, as you mentioned, a certain player that went to uh, Chelsea. Um, yeah, he's doing the right things, but he isn't ready for that big move that his market value and his price tag might demand. Interesting. All right, Will, I'll hand the final one off to you. All right, last one is uh, Gregor Kobel, who's the new Dortmund keeper. Dortmund have kind of been bouncing around, you know, with a couple of average keepers over the last few years. Have never really been able. Berkey has had, you know, patches of good form, but has never really convinced. And they seem, uh, you know, from the outside at least, to have finally got their guy here. They they spend a fair amount of money on him, considering his age. He's, you know, started well. They seem pretty happy with him for the future. And I've only seen this guy play once or twice so i'm kind of curious as to you know why they've landed on him as their option going forward yeah so um during his time with stuttgart i believe is where he was previously uh yeah i think that's right yeah yeah he he fits the dortmund criteria of being a playing for mid table bundesliga side and being swiss by nationality that those are the two things they need yes Freiburg and Marin hits from uh, Augsburg. Uh, so yeah, both Swiss and now he follows that lineage, but he is young. He's 23 and he did pre lot Stuttgart. There's plenty of promising things there. He's had a hard time uh, in terms of shot stopping in early days with Dortmund, but I think it's safe to say Dortmund is still getting used to life under uh new management yes and there's plenty of promising science ahead of him he's very good coming off his line and he's very good at distribution once his shot stopping gets back to where it should be he'll probably be a good candidate for a while and i think dortmund have done well in the fact that as you mentioned there's a bit of a transfer fee so there is that expectation but they're not totally handcuffed by using him, and he's only getting better from here. He has plenty of experience, and now he has uh, very, very good coaching and very, very good players in front of him. 
Yeah, and, and Dortmund are definitely one of those teams where they, you know, especially in their defense, they tend to go with younger players than most other clubs yeah. do, and they they score enough goals that, you know, these guys have freedom to make some more mistakes. So I don't think the shot stopping is a, you know, it's obviously not great, but it's not a massive concern at this point in time, I wouldn't think. Yeah, and I will say one thing I do really like about him is his uh, ability to intercept the ball. Uh, it's one thing that my eyes and the numbers back up together. He's good at timing up uh, when the ball's coming, and he may not exit his line very often, but when he does, he's getting there and he's doing it right. And that's something that's hard for a young goalkeeper sometimes, and for him to already be demonstrating that uh, age 23, it's uh, definitely very promising. Well, fantastic. Uh, Aiden, I just want to say, man, you have been an unbelievable first guest for us to have on the podcast. This has uh, flown by. I know we've, I don't even know what type of dent we've made in our time. And I know we're stealing some uh, of your evening right now, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of this information with us. Obviously you've taken two total ignorant uh, guys like Will and myself and made us just a little bit less ignorant, which, uh, you know, if everybody in the world did that, I think we'd all be living in a better place. So um, I am very impressed with the way that you've been able to digest uh, for us, the way that you can kind of look at something that is a little bit obscure to the average fan or the average analyst or the average coach, um, find ways that you can more concretely understand it, ways that you can categorize players, um, numbers you can use to back up what you see, and then ultimately apply that with a tool that obviously costs a little bit of money, but if you work at a club, perhaps that can afford it or things like that, um, you can totally use to your advantage. Um, we have shown that with just some basic sort of word problems and some intelligent criteria applied to them, we can take some tricky situations for clubs. And obviously I don't mean to oversimplify things. This isn't like a super obvious, simple, trivial thing, but with even just a, an hour, we've been able to solve a couple of problems using the things that you've taught us. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm, I'm sure Will and I will have plenty to discuss after this, just questions amongst ourselves. So, um, Really, really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, all right. Well, I guess we've reached the end of our episode then, probably. Um, I do have one final question, Aiden, before we go. Okay. Um, something that's just <laughs> has been you know, scratching my mind for years is that I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, as I've already said, and uh, you know, I've, so I, I see a lot of Everton as well, the team across the pond, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they have a goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford, who, you know, maybe more than any other professional keeper I've watched, like just, you know, fails the eye test to me. He, <laughs> he looks unconvincing. He looks nervous. He's got short arms. He doesn't save well. And, you know, despite this, he's he's been very successful. Body and shaming I don't know. the podcast, I'm just, man. <laughs> you know, I, I'm curious. You know, as we've said before, you know, if you... If you don't trust the eye, or if you if you use the eye tests, you know, make sure you get the stats to back it up. And I guess that's what I'm looking for here. Like, is is there any redeeming quality to Jordan Pickford, or am I am I just missing something, or is he actually bad? Yeah. So um, per the numbers, uh, especially in shot stopping, you may not be happy to hear this, but he's actually uh, overperforming a bit. He's prevented 1.12 goals this season, right. which breaks down to an average of 0.089. I uh, his distribution could definitely do with some improvement, especially <laughs> given his his reputation of being a good distributor, of perhaps making the 
side volley, a much more household style of distribution than it was before. Like on um, Pe- Pepe Reina did that, not Pickford. Come on. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely gained some notoriety for things he's done. Uh, but as of right now, his shot stopping is what it needs to be for Everton. Although I'm sure there's certainly room for improvement and many of his qualities. Yeah, uh, good enough for England. So I guess that's where we're at. <laughs> He's definitely got the crazy label too. I think you could probably pin that onto him, wouldn't you? Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Um, thank you everybody for, for listening in. Uh, hoping to have a lot of... Um, I mean, Aiden has set the bar very high for our guests in the future. So as I as I hope to have more guests come on to the show, they're going to have a, a serious reputation to uphold now given this uh, episode. So... Um, with that, enjoy uh, the Champions League fixtures that are going to come tomorrow, the, the rest of your weeks and your weekends, and till next time.